Changed by Love is the teaching ministry of Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills, located in Dover, New Jersey. Our desire is to teach the Word of God with passion and simplicity, as well as a direct application for our lives. With that in mind... Your response to that determines your eternal destiny. This may be an odd way of thinking about it, but it comes down to this, that you will be judged by God on your judgment about Jesus Christ. Your thinking, your response to Jesus Christ is the determination of where you will spend eternity, not some man-made standard of behavior. The Bible contains a vast amount of evidence pointing to Jesus and the love and grace that he gave by dying on the cross. It also leaves us with a very important decision, however, and Pastor Jim shares that with us in today's message. The question is, what will be your response to all the evidence given in the Bible? What will you believe about Jesus and the salvation he offers? Pastor Jim also cautions that this decision will affect eternity, not just your life as it is right now. With that in mind, here's Pastor Jim with part one of his message entitled, Joyful Expectation. Well, once again, we're continuing in our study in the book, the letter, the epistle, all our proper ways of saying it, from Paul, St. Paul, to the church in Philippi, a church that he had founded some 10 years before this letter. It's now about 30 years after Jesus was crucified, rose from the dead, and ascended into heaven. The apostle Paul is in jail. He's in jail essentially for preaching the good news. Some of the people in the Roman Empire said that he was a guy who was turning their cities upside down, when the reality is is he was a guy who was turning their cities right side up. Very interesting, a man sitting in jail full of joy despite what's going on because he's full of Jesus. Now, the church that he's writing to in Philippi, northern Greece, was a church, again, as I said, that he founded, and they're having some problems. You know why they're having problems? They have people in their church. If they didn't have people, they wouldn't have problems. But then again, if they didn't have people, they wouldn't have a church. So inevitably, when you put people in a room, there's going to be some issues, and it seems to be that they're having an issue of unity. They're not on the same page with things. And it can take so many different forms in a church. It could be there's just lots of disagreements. It could be there lots of, lots of anger and angst. It could be everybody's just sort of doing their own thing. And they're not cohesively working together. I can tell you as someone who pastors a church, one of the hardest things to do is to make sure that everyone who desires to be cared for is being cared for because typically you'll have one person will have seven people caring for them and somebody else has nobody caring for them. So these things produce sometimes some difficulties in a church. Perhaps apathy had set in. Things were not going well. The Roman Empire was kind of giving them a little bit of grief. Life was not as they expected. Maybe they're thinking that maybe God owed them something. And so they began to lose interest in the things of God And they are beginning, or in a sense, they are lacking joy. So they're upside down. The apostle needs to turn them right side up. And it's very interesting the way he does it. 
he says that your unity problem is actually a humility problem. That you're not unified because you're not humbling yourself, he's telling the church there, to work together. So humility is the path to unity. Very un-American, wouldn't you say? <laughs> that's, not, that's not the way we think. We've got to go for the gusto. We've got to stomp on the competition. And that is not at all the way the Bible portrays it. Jesus said this, Matthew 23, 12. He says, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So before we go any further, we must be clear, especially if you're here today and you don't know much about the Christian faith. At least I hope in this small passage this morning that we're at, you will know so much more about the Christian faith than when you came in this morning, so at least you can either make a decision or begin the process of considering the Bible's claims of who this person, Jesus of Nazareth, or as we know him as Jesus Christ was. The Bible claims that God became a man, that God always existed in eternity past, and he became a man. They knew him as Jesus of Nazareth. He was God, 100% God. He added humanity to him, and he became 100% man at the same time. Not half God, half man. Not gave up being God to become a man. But within him were both at the same time, but he added humanity to him. This is the Christian faith. This is the essential teaching of the Christian faith. You've heard the term perhaps gospel. Gospel means good news. It is a proclamation. When a conquering king would go into an area and he would conquer or a a ruler or something like that, he would conquer an area. People would go throughout the town heralding the gospel, making the announcement that there is a new king or the king is coming. And the gospel is the announcement of what God has done in the person of Jesus Christ, about God becoming a man, his life, his death, his resurrection, and his bodily ascension, his bodily return to heaven. And the Bible says that whoever, whoever, anybody, whoever would believe a better word in our thinking than believe is the word trust, whoever would put their trust in Jesus Christ Instead of themselves, if I asked you why you're going to heaven and you said to me, gave me the classic New Jersey response, yo, I'm a good person. That's trusting in who? That's trusting in yo, right? That's trusting in yourself, right? But if you said, because I've placed my trust in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says you will receive the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. The forgiveness of sins bought for you on the cross Okay, and his perfect life will be credited to you because Jesus was without sin. So if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, thank you for being here. We're very glad that you're here today. You must understand what the Bible clearly says, we'll be talking about in a bit, that your response to this one simple fact that God became a man, lived a perfect life in your place, died a sinner's death for the punishment of your sins on the cross and offers forgiveness of sins and eternal life to anybody who would put their trust in him. Your response to that determines 
your eternal destiny. This may be an odd way of thinking about it, but it comes down to this, that you will be judged by God on your judgment about Jesus Christ. Your thinking, your response to Jesus Christ is the determination of where you will spend eternity, not some man-made standard of behavior. And we're going to have to, we have no choice, we're going to have to go at a few of them this morning. John 17, 3, Jesus is praying the night before the cross. Listen to what he says. He says to his Father, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So eternal life is knowing God and Jesus. We know God, we know Jesus by turning to God and putting our trust in Jesus Christ. Colossians 1.15, the Apostle Paul writes, talking about Jesus Christ, he says that he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. That word image really has to do again with exact representation. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, the Bible says that about Jesus being in the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had himself purged our sins, that's the cross, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, that is what we know as the ascension. So again, if you're here this morning and you would not consider yourself to be a Christian, please, please, please do not allow people who say they are Christian and live like the devil persuade or sway your opinion about Christianity. Do not let nasty, grumpy, cranky, persnickety, religious people sway your opinion about Christianity. Look at Jesus Christ. Now, like virtually all world religions, like all world religions, Christianity makes the exclusive claim that it is right. It makes the claim that it is the way. That there are, we're going to see later, the Bible says there are not many gods, there are one. And Christianity claims that it is the true and the living God. The difference with Christianity over other world religions is in world religions, you try to get to God. Christianity is honest enough to say mankind is so far gone that we cannot get to God. So God had to come to us. And he came to us in the person of Jesus Christ. So in Christianity, while in other world religions, God might become a man, but it is to steal women and kingdoms and stuff like that. But in Christianity, God himself comes to pay for the sins of mankind, which are against God's own throne. Why was Jesus killed? The religious leader said this, you being a mere man, make yourself out to be God. It was true. He was a man making himself out to be God, or if you really want to be true, he was God making himself out to be a man. The problem was the religious leaders, please catch this, the religious leaders were spiritually blind to the identity of whom Jesus Christ was. Well, let's go back to Philippians chapter 2. Look at verse 7. Now we come down the steps of heaven to Christmas morning. We talked about this last week. 
but he, Jesus, made himself of no reputation. We said last week that literally means he emptied himself, not of being God, not of his deity, but of the rights that came along with being God. He emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant. A bondservant is a willing slave. He was a willing slave of, of God. And let's, let's just stop there for a second. Remember, we can't do all the stuff that Jesus did, right? but we can be willing bond slaves of God in the sense of being willing to do whatever he asks of us. Whatever, no matter how hard, no matter how difficult, no matter how it ruins our comfortable American lifestyle, right? God may ask us to do something, and there we have the mind of Christ, okay, and coming in the likeness of men. Verse eight, and being found in appearance as a man, we said last week, the people in the town were like, he was a carpenter, bought a table from him, you know? Played baseball with him, soccer, whatever they did. He was, he was a kid in the neighborhood, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, his choice, his choice, and now the apostle is taking us further down the steps of Jesus' humility and became obedient to the point of death. Part of being human, right, is you die, and he takes us even further down, even the death of the cross, the most shameful death we talked about last week for sinners. All that brings us to our verses for today, and I want to use three words to help us because we've got to make the difficult journey back up to heaven. And it's not really that easy to see, so we're going to try and see how we do with this. The first word in the three words are name, knee, and need. The first is the name. So now we have to take a journey to heaven with Jesus. And this is the ascension, Jesus returning to heaven. So we're still going back 2,000 years ago. Verse 9 says, Therefore, and we would say because of all of this, because of his wonderful humility and his obedience to his Father, God has also highly exalted him, Jesus, and given him the name, what name? We got to talk about that in a second, which is above every name. So here we see a change. In the previous verses, Jesus was, was doing all the action. He came to earth. He humbled himself. He obeyed his father. He went to the cross. But now the cross and the resurrection is done, and it is God the Father that takes all the action here. And Jesus Christ, who came so low, is now lifted up, so high to what he never grasped as a man, but always had as God. Again, important to remember, Jesus of Nazareth was God before he came to earth. And please don't believe people who want to tell you that he was just the spirit of Jesus, you know, and that's what it was. And he was the spirit man. And no, that's not Christianity. He was a historical person. He was a righteous servant king not a cruel ruler. Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Bible students, you might want to note, we say that there are three persons, one God, one God, three persons. The only thing that differentiates one person from the Trinity from the other is the properties that distinguish them in their role. 
So the properties that distinguish Jesus Christ in his role in the Trinity was to become a man, was to live a man's life, a perfect life. 30 years he lived and walked among us as one of us and then at his baptism at the age of 30, the spirit of God came upon him and he was able to do miracles. He went out and preached the gospel and then he died on the cross. These are the things that distinguish Jesus from the Father, although he and the Father are one. Notice it says that Jesus was highly exalted. That literally means that Jesus was super exalted. We go to heaven, right? Or at least we hope we do, right? When we die, we say, well, you know, he went to heaven. But that is not what it says about Jesus. It says when Jesus died and rose, he was super exalted. He ascended into heaven. And so here we get the picture of the coronation of the true king. This is a crowning moment when the king returns to the kingdom victorious and he is receiving the royal welcome of heaven. And the Bible says that he is seated at the right hand of God, which anybody in that time would have understood that he is now seated at the seat of authority, that he is the sovereign ruler, that he is the sovereign king because the sins against the kingdom of God have been paid for. Death has been reversed. A man has actually stood before God and he now sits on the throne. This, my friends, is a very important part of the gospel. This is a very important part of the good news. It not only shows us what can happen to us if we are followers of Jesus Christ, that God will take us to be with him, but it also tells us about Jesus, that he is not some just poor carpenter from a poor town who had a lot of bad things happen to him, but he is the mighty, reigning, exalting king of the universe. He is the king of heaven. He is the one who the angels and the crowds of heaven worship. So you say, well, okay, that doesn't help me with this. What is the name? What is the name? What was the name that God gave him? And, and we would have to think of it as, as a man. What was the name that God gave him? Because it says here, this name is above every name. Now, if you read the Bible carefully, you realize that nobody has more names than Jesus. I mean, every time you turn around, he's got a different name. You know, he's the Prince of Peace, he's Emmanuel, he's the Good Shepherd, he's the Great Physician, he's the Son of Man, he's the Son of God. We could go on and on, he's Alpha and Omega, on and on and on. There are so many names that he has, yet here God makes a special point of saying that I am giving him a name above every name. Well, what is that name? It's tucked away in verse 11 where the apostle writes, Jesus Christ is Lord. The New Testament is written in Greek, and that is the Greek word kurios, kurios. What was that word used for? Very important to remember that they lived in an empire ruled by the Caesars. Different Caesars, Caesar would be the the anointed holy ruler, supreme ruler of the Roman Empire. That word kurios meant ruler, it meant master, It meant owner, was also the name that they would give to Caesar when they would have his deity ceremony, when they finally decided, okay, this Caesar's God, and they would would then call him Kyrios. Now, in the Old Testament, and by the way, that word Lord is used of Jesus in the New Testament. You say, well, just here, you know, maybe almost 750 times. Pretty convinced. I mean, the Bible really thinks he's Kyrios, right? Right? 
So in Old Testament, that was written in Hebrew, if you didn't know that. And the word that's used in Hebrew for the same thing is, uh, would be Adonai, would be Jehovah, would be Yahweh. These talking about the personal name of God. And so here, a man who ascends into heaven, fully God, fully man, is given the name above all names, the covenant name of the God of Israel belongs to Jesus Christ. You wonder why some of the religious leaders wanted to throw Jesus and the apostles under the bus, if you will, and out of town because of this extraordinary claim that the Bible makes. Isaiah 42.8, written some seven, 800 years before Jesus lived, the prophet Isaiah says this. He's speaking, we say that when the prophets speak, God speaks, and God says, I am the Lord. Hebrew, Yahweh, Jehovah. I am the Lord, and that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another. Interesting. The idea is that God says, I will not share my name. I will not share my glory with another. And then the apostle says, it's Jesus. How can that be? Because they two are one. The three are one when you have the Holy Spirit as well. Very interesting. It goes on further, Isaiah 42, 8. He says, nor I won't give my name to another and my glory, nor my praise to carved images. What does that mean? I will not allow me to be worshipped with a statue. That is just not who Yahweh is. So it's not that Jesus didn't have this before. Jesus had said to the apostles when he was still alive, he said, all authority has been given to me. But this is really rather for us to see that now, right, the God-man, Jesus Christ, is exalted on the throne How very gracious of God to allow us to see him in a way we could understand it instead of trying to figure it out what he really is. You know, well, I think this and well, I think that. And the Bible being very clear with us the identity of Jesus. So in verses 5 through 11, the apostle is clearly teaching that Jesus has not earned the throne. He has simply been returned to the throne that he had before he came to earth. So Jesus' exaltation is not earned by his efforts, but it is a response of God to his obedience. And there again, we have the gospel. We do not go to heaven by being good people. Okay, We don't earn our way. It is God's response. God saves us. God gives us a new heart. He forgives our sins. He gives us eternal life by our obedience to putting our trust in Jesus Christ. Well, that takes us to number two, and and he fast-forwards us from the ascension. Lots been going on since then, right? But we're not there. We don't know what's going on. And he fast-forwards us to the second coming, when Jesus has promised to return. And our point is there is the knee. So we've gone from the name to the knee. Verse 10, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Now, the idea there is not that, well, you should do it. It's a good thing. It's every knee will bow, right? Well, 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 who who does that include? Maybe that's not me, you think. Of those in heaven, we're not in heaven, right? I sure hope this is in heaven, okay? We're not in heaven. Of those on the earth, 
That would be us now, right? But this is the second coming. Some of us, when Jesus returns, some of us will be in heaven already. Some of us will still be maybe on earth, depending upon when he returns. And of those under the earth, well, we don't want to be there, do we? That speaks of the, when the Bible talks under the earth, it talks of hell. And that every tongue should confess, or will confess, every mouth will say this, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Pastor Jim will have more insights to share from the book of Philippians the next time you join us. You've been listening to Changed by Love with Pastor Jim Kevney, teaching pastor of Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills, located in Dover, New Jersey. This message from the book of Philippians is available to anyone who calls 973-659-3380. That's 973-659-3380. Keep in mind that we need today's date to ensure you get the right teaching in your hands. Again, you can get a copy of today's study on CD when you call 973-659-3380 or by sending an email to info at changedbyloveradio.com. Changed by Love also has a website with quite a bit of information. The address is www.changedbyloveradio.com. That's www.changedbyloveradio.com. At the website, you can check out our additional resources, drop us a note, or give securely to support the ongoing expenses of bringing you this program. Changed by Love is the radio ministry of Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills, located at 158 West Clinton Street, Dover, New Jersey, 07801. From all of the production team, we want to say thank you for joining us today, and we pray that God's Word would change your lives in more ways than you've ever dreamed possible. Please mark your Bibles and join us next time as we continue our verse-by-verse teaching through the book of Philippians, right here on Changed by Love.